Okay, come in and let's get started on the morning meeting. Last of the morning meetings. Praise the Lord. If we can get everybody to come in and take a seat, we'll get started. I just had an offer from one of our Bible college graduates. She's a, or she's not a graduate. She's promoted from first year going into second year. And she came up and told me that if there's anybody here who um, wants to register but just doesn't have the $100 registration fee, she's got it for you. She will pay for that. So if there's somebody here who is wanting to register and just short of that fee, we do have... A lady here that's wanting to pay that, if you will come and talk to, um, I guess, Wendell or Gary. I don't know if Gary is here this morning, but if you'll come and talk to some of our CBC staff, we can make that connection. And praise God, there's the Lord answering a prayer and providing the need for someone. Also, I want to remind you, this is Karen Bean. Karen, stand up and let sure, make sure everybody knows who you are. This is Karen Bean, and she works in our television department. And Karen and John uh, Baker are out here interviewing people. If you have a testimony, like I just had a woman come up and I prayed with her last night. She was deaf, had hearing aids, and without her hearing aids was completely deaf. She couldn't hear anything. She said that she woke up this morning and was able to hear her daughter for the first time without her hearing aids. And it's getting better all the time. If you have a testimony about healing, about how God's changing you through the word or whatever, Karen Bean here is doing interviews right out here in the hall. So make sure that you see her and get that set up. Of course, today's the last day of our conference, so we need to get you uh, connected with Karen. Okay? You have anything else? What else? Here, I'll let Karen say something to you. Karen's a blessing. I've known Karen for, man, what, 28, 30 years? Long time. We've been We were friends. both just little kids. That's then. right. Teenagers back then. I just want to say that there are incredible things happening um, with God. Healings that you're going to see on TV shortly. And I want to just give praise to God uh, for everything he's doing. I want to hear your stories. Please come and see me. Uh, we're just anxious. We're not trying to make something happen because we don't have to. Mm -hmm. God is absolutely wonderful. And uh, so just please come and see me after every service or before every service. And let me know what God's doing in your life because we definitely want to know. Um, I just uh, talked to some people a couple nights ago where a little baby um, was healed. And these people were in the hospital, in the ER, and uh, the baby was diagnosed with uh, bacterial meningitis. And a doctor came into the hospital, gave them Andrew's uh, uh, a better health care package. They started listening, watching, and that baby was healed. And it's just exciting. Praise the Lord. I mean, right in the hospital. So, and actually that doctor is here. I don't know if he's here today. 
and the mother and father and the little baby were all here. So Praise the Lord. It's exciting. That is awesome. Yeah. I tell you, those testimonies really encourage people's faith. And my television department is beginning to make little one-minute uh, news things that we put at the end of the program. Because, you know, when I get up, I just teach. And I get tunnel vision. And all I'm thinking about is i got to get the word to the people. And I don't promote things well. So our television department is using these things and putting little one-minute things on. And they put them on about our Bible schools and about our other offices. And it gives people a better impression of what's happening and then my uh, computer department is, uh, they are now putting two news articles per week on the website under a news section. And so they're really piling up. We now have, I couldn't tell you, but probably 40 or maybe 30 or 40 news items that are just different things that are happening around the world, people's testimonies and uh, good things happening, and it really is impacting people. We have around 25,000 visits per day to our website, and so we're getting a lot of response, and people are really being blessed by this, so we would love to have your testimony. All right, this morning, I'm going to continue talking about the parable of the sower. I got started last night. Of course, I'll be finishing tonight, but I've got more to say than what I can say in one time, so I'm going to use this morning and just continue that. If there's anybody who wasn't here, I'm teaching on the parable of the sower sowing the seed. I'm using this Life for Today Gospels edition because we've got the three accounts of the Gospels of this one thing all here on one page. And it really helps to study these things, all of the materials in the Gospels set on this one subject. So it's easier than going to Matthew and then Mark chapter 4 and Luke chapter 8 and going back and forth and all of this. You have all of this here on one page. So anyway, last night we talked about the parable of the sower, Jesus saying that all of these things were hidden from people who would reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If they were just trying to figure it out with their heads, you can't do that. You got to have it through your heart. Uh, we talked about how that this is the key parable. If you can't understand this parable, you can't understand any of the parables. If you can understand this parable, it unlocks everything else, and it's really important. I talked about how the reason that he used this, the example of a seed is because all of life here on earth operates on this principle of a seed. That's how everything grows and reproduces, and it's something that is governed by law. You can't just pray over ground and make it produce. You've got to plant a seed. There are laws. Likewise, in the spiritual realm, if people would come to this concept that the kingdom doesn't just work because you're in need and so you cry out to God, God, if you love me, would you please heal me? Would you please save this person? That's not how it works. There are laws that govern how the power of God works. And the Word of God is the seed that you have to plant. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word, Romans 10, 17. The Word is health unto all of your flesh and life unto those that find it. Proverbs chapter 4, I believe it's verse 22. Psalms 107, 20 says, He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them of their destruction. It's the Word that is the seed. And people are wanting fruit from God without planting a seed. You would never do that in the natural realm, but in the spiritual realm, people don't have this same concept. They just think that if God loved me, why wouldn't he do this? Well, you know, I pray for people all the time. I bet you this last uh, month, I've probably prayed for five or six people who can't have children. 
and they ask me to pray for them. And so I pray for them and I'll prophesy over them and I'll release my faith and speak that they're healed. But then every time after I pray for a person, I say, there was only one virgin birth. This isn't going to be the second. I believe you're healed. Now you got a part to play. You go do your part. And you know, it's one of the few things that you don't have to really encourage people a lot. They seem to want to cooperate with that. And, and I've literally had thousands of children born to people after I prayed with them. There was one woman in um, uh, Ireland that I, I prayed with her. And I said, the next time I see you, you're going to be pregnant. And so we left town and it was one year later we came back and this woman had done a pregnancy test every month for a year and hadn't got pregnant on the way to the ho- on the way to the meeting that night she told her husband you stop by the hospital I'm going to get a pregnancy test and she got a pregnancy test on the way to the meeting one year later and she was pregnant cuz she said I know that he said next time I see him I'm going to be pregnant So anyway, I've seen great things happen, but you know what? Prayer is not the only thing that happened. You have to plant a seed. Everybody understands that in the natural, but when it comes to spiritual things, they just pray. And then if they don't see something happen, they get upset with God. That is not how the kingdom works. There are seeds in the word that tell you that I wish above all things that you would be in health and prosper, even as your soul prospers. If you want to be healed, take that promise, that seed, and get it on the inside of you. And and we're going to be talking about this today, things that come and try and steal the word from you. And if you will protect it and not let the word be stolen, that word, the promise of God will literally germinate and produce healing in your body. If you need healing, go get scriptures on healing and meditate on them and give it time and let it work and it will produce healing. There's not one out of a hundred Christians that take that approach towards healing. They pray and ask God to heal them. They go to somebody else and ask them to lay hands on them. And let me just explain, I'm talking as fast as I can. There's so much to say. But let me say this very quickly that if the only way that you could be healed is to take the word, meditate on it, let it germinate and produce healing in your body. If that's the only method that God had established, then what would happen to the person that just gets born again today and only has a week to live and it's a year's process for them to get the word in them and get healed? Those people would be doomed to die. And so because of that, the Lord does have another method. And that is that you can go to somebody who has a gift of miracles or the gifts of healings or somebody who's just strong in faith, an intercessor, and they can pray for you and you in a sense can have a surrogate child. You can have somebody else that took the word and conceived it and you can partake of their fruit and you can get healed off of them. The Lord has made that provision because he cares for us and wants everybody to be able to receive. So it can happen that way, but that's abnormal. It ought to be as abnormal as you giving uh, your seed to someone else and letting them conceive and bring the birth and then you taking the child home and having it as your child. That is an exception. That is only in extreme cases. And the problem has been that the body of Christ has thought that this is the way that you receive. You follow somebody around with an anointing on their life and you let them conceive your miracle for you and you let them deliver it and you go and have somebody else pray for you. Yes, it can happen that way. And praise God, if you are in a desperate situation 
and you know that you aren't at a place of believing, well then don't be too proud to go and let somebody else pray for you. But brothers and sisters, it was never intended that that's the way that the body of Christ is supposed to operate. That is a temporary method to help people who are in crisis situation. God wants to get each one of us that if you're sick, go take the scriptures and meditate on them and they'll be health to your flesh and life to them that find it. If you're poor, take the word of God that ministers prosperity and meditate on it. And I guarantee you that seed will produce prosperity in you. If you don't know how to get along with people, if you're mean and angry and bitter, take the word of God and let it deal with you. If you don't understand the love of God, don't go ask somebody to pray for you that God would love you. Take the word of God and sow these truths in your life and get a revelation and get set free. And this is so simple. You got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand that. And yet the body of Christ has had a lot of help misunderstanding this. And we basically are going around. We don't take any seed. We... You know, I hope you don't take offense at this, but I'm just trying to make my point in a sense. We aren't having any intercourse with the Word of God. There isn't any seed being sown in our life, and then we wonder why we're barren and why nothing is producing. That's just silly. I'm telling you, this is how the kingdom works. It's like a seed. If you want tomatoes, plant a seed. If you want peas, plant a seed. If you want corn, plant a seed. That's simple. If you want to be healed, if you want to be delivered, take the word of God, meditate in it day and night. And then Joshua 1, 8 says, you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall have good success when you've taken the word and meditated in it day and night. Everybody's wanting to be prosperous. Everybody's wanting to have good success, but very few people are wanting to take the word of God and meditate in it day and night. They aren't planting the seed. Man, this is just simple, simple, simple. This is foundational stuff, and yet the average person does not operate this way. So we talked about the first type of person that heard the word was a person that didn't understand it. If you don't have understanding, if it hasn't gotten into your heart, then it's still on the surface. Satan has direct access to you, and he just steals away the word. The second type of person is a person who's excited about the word, gets excited. And over here in Mark chapter 4, it says it this way. In verse 16, and these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure for a time. Afterward, when afflictions or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. You know, this is where I was when the Lord spoke this parable to me. I was excited about the word. I was recognizing it. It bore witness in my heart, but I was parroting what other people said. I didn't have it in myself. And that's when God began to teach me this. And this is when this parable really began to start making an impact on my life. Let me just say this, that I have noticed when I minister, uh, you know, where the scripture says, 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Our tendency as humans is to be more visible and carnal than we are spiritual and perceived with our hearts. And so lots of times ministers really want to see some kind of outward response. A lot of ministers encourage it. They'll sit there and say, amen or oh me. And they'll, they'll get you to talking and talking back to them. And you know what? I like that. I mean, it's kind of nice when I can tell that a person's enjoying it instead of mad at me. But... <laughs> I've learned this, that I've seen people that literally got so excited, they would bounce up and down and shout and yell. And you know what? That kind of feeds your flesh and you like to see somebody who's excited. 
But I have learned over the years that most of the people are many, I don't know that I can say most, but many of the people who are so outwardly excited are about a mile wide and an inch deep. I have actually gotten to the point that sometimes when people are just looking at me and giving me one of these looks, it's really good because you know what they're thinking. They're processing this. They are letting it soak down on the inside. And I, you know, I've gotten to where that really, I just don't much care about the outward manifestation. It's the end results that I'm looking for. And I've come to realize that there's a lot of people get excited about the word, but then they don't take it and get rooted in it. And it's only the people that take the word until it gets rooted on the inside of them that are going to actually produce results. And so I've gotten to where really it's, it's a matter of how deep the word goes on the inside of you. It's not about your outward manifestation and things like this. And I also learned this uh, in ministering. When I was really ministering in Pritchett, Colorado, and I started Bible studies in six states, I had uh, different groups that I would minister in the same message every time, six times a week. And I did it so that I could keep all of these Bible study groups kind of growing at the same rate. And so I administer the same message. And, you know, it would tend to that as I ministered it six times, it would get stronger and better. And I'd, I'd be even better at ministering it. And so usually you'd see more results as the week went on. But I began to realize that sometimes I'd be preaching and one person would get healed and set free. Their life would be changed. They'd come up to me and say, I've never heard this. Man, it's, they, were, they were just totally set free and the person next to them falls asleep. And I began to realize that, you know what, there's no way that life and death can come out of one mouth at the same time. There's no way that I could be ministering really good and see one person set free and the next person just totally hate the thing and get up and walk out. And I began to realize it's not only the word, it's the condition of people's hearts that determine how the word works. And that's what this parable is all about. The word is the same in every single situation. Did you know every person who's come to this conference this week has heard the exact same word? And yet there will be people like this lady who is uh, struggling with deafness and now her ears are open. She's still in the process, but I mean, she heard her daughter uh, moving around and heard her voice for the first time in a long, long time. Did you know the same word went forth to every person in here? And yet there will be some people leave with still with hearing problems. There will be some people that will be encouraged. They'll get direction for their life. There's other people that will leave without it. And there is no way that we are speaking different words to all of these people. It's not just the word that's the deal. It's the condition of the heart that determines how the word produces. And most people, see, don't even take this into account. They think, well, why isn't the word working for me? They blame the word. Well, it got, I stood on this promise and it didn't work. There is no corruptible seed in the kingdom. It's all a condition of our heart and you got to guard your heart. And so one of the things you got to do is get to a place to where you let this word take root on the inside of you. And notice in Mark's account, uh, verse uh, 17, it says they have no root in themselves and so endure, but for a time. What this is picturing is, I don't know how many of you have done a lot with plants or trees or things, but it a plant usually has anywhere from two to three times as much root below the ground as it does growth above the ground. 
You know, I learned this as a kid because I lived in Arlington, Texas, and we had 23 pecan trees in our yard. And these uh, pecans would fall down, we'd pick them up, and, but always some would get hidden in the grass and they would get down and they'd start putting down roots and they'd grow. And it was my job to go pull up these little pecan trees so that we wouldn't just have solid trees in our yard. So that was my job. And being a typical kid, I didn't want to do that. And so I'd wait until they were tall enough that you could see them when my parents drove in the uh, yard or could see them from the house. And they'd be, you know, I don't know, a foot tall. And they'd say something. And I learned that if I waited until a pecan tree got three foot, I mean a foot tall, it had three foot of root. And you could not pull them up. You had to go get a shovel and dig them up. And it was a pain. But if you caught them when they were only that tall, you could pull them up because uh, the roots weren't that big yet. But I learned through that that there are more roots below the surface than there are above the surface. But see, most people, again, are wanting only the results, the fruit that the word can produce, not realizing that for every inch of growth above the surface, visible results that you can see in your life, there has to be like three inches or more of growth below the surface where nobody's looking, where nobody's paying attention. Time that you're spending in the word, just meditating in the word of God. You could ask any of the ministers that have ministered at this conference and the things that we talk about, we may talk for an hour, but I'm talking on things that I have literally spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours meditating on and studying the word. You're just giving a tiny little taste of something, but man, there has to be root on the inside of you. When I was in the sixth grade, my uh, sixth grade teacher took two terrariums that were identical, same in size and everything, put uh, tomato seeds in there and everything was identical except one of them had like a foot of dirt in it. The other one had just like an inch of dirt in it. And then we watered it every day. We put them both in the same place. They got the same sun. It was the same temperature. Everything was identical. And you know which one grew first? The ones in the, the one in an inch of soil, that thing grew and it was over a foot tall before the other one even put anything, any, uh, sprout above the ground. I was amazed at that. And it looked like that the one in shallow soil was actually growing better and producing better. But the, what was happening was it didn't have any depth of earth. It didn't have the ability to put roots down. So it put all of its growth into this plant above ground. And it got a foot tall before the other one even began to come up above the ground, but it couldn't sustain that growth. And that thing turned white. I mean, it looked like an albino and it died and fell over and it never produced any fruit. The other one was just barely getting started when this other one was dead and it wound up growing and we had to stake it and it produced tomatoes. And you know, this is very typical of a lot of people's lives. People are just so quick. They want results. They want to pray and they they want to come to a conference like this and have every problem in their life solved. If you do that, it's because somebody else planted the word and had roots and you're living off of their revelation. And again, God can do that. And he does that as a temporary measure to help people because he loves them so much. But that is not the way that God intended it. 
God intended that you take the word, that you take truth, you meditate on this, and it takes time for that word to germinate in your heart and produce. You know, I was talking to someone this week about some things, and they were suggesting somebody else do something, and I said, you know what? I love these people. I just think they're wonderful. I think they're great. I have nothing but good comments, but they're just so young. They've only been at it about a year. And you know, some people think, well, so are you prejudiced? I'm just telling you that it takes time to mature in the Lord. And if I have my choice about using people, nine out of 10 times, I'll go with the one that has proven and that they have roots and that you can see fruit that has come over time because it just takes time to grow and produce. I know some of you don't like that. Our American culture is we got instant everything. Man, if it takes more than a minute for your food to be prepared, you're sitting there griping about the service. We have become just instant gratification in our competitive society uh, is always out trying to best the other person and stuff. And because of it, we get to where we just expect instant results. But I tell you what, you cannot microwave your miracle. There is a law of seed, time, and harvest. And with most things, it's more like seed and then time and then harvest. Amen. There is a time involved and most people are not willing to accept this. They just want to follow somebody around and have you wave your hand over them and receive. But I'm telling you, you can't go home with me. I don't want you to go home with me. I've been busy all week long. I'm looking forward to being home. Amen. And I do not want you to come home with me. You can't depend on somebody else to be there every time something's wrong, but you can depend on the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, but it just takes some time. But you know, the good thing is that when you start receiving from God because you've planted the Word in your heart, see, if you receive from God because I prayed for you, well, then Satan isn't going to give up and roll over because I prayed for you and received. And when you leave here and you get out of this atmosphere and there's no longer Charlie and Jill and all of the praise and worship and no longer are you around everybody that's talking about God, but you get into a situation that's negative and you go back home and somebody goes to griping at you and all of these pressures coming in again, you know what? Satan's going to attack you and you're going to get sick again. You're going to have poverty again. You're going to be depressed again. And you're going to wait until the next conference. But you know, you can go home and take the word. And the good thing about this seed time and harvest, once you get this process going, it may take a little bit of time, but once you get it going, man, that word just continues to produce fruit. It just produces and things work. And it is actually a positive thing. I am reaping results of time I spent in the word 42 years ago, times that I've spent fasting and praying and I got a revelation of truth. Those truths are still impacting me today. I've got a momentum built up from the word of God and being in the word and praying that I guarantee you, it's like I'm going a thousand miles an hour and you can't just make a U-turn when you're going a thousand miles an hour. It would, it, I don't know what it'd take for me to turn around and go the other direction, but the word of God has just built things up in me and my life is going in a direction that it might take me six months or a year or two years to get to where I could be carnal enough to turn around and just go the other direction. Some of you don't understand what I'm talking about. Some of you, you don't get up in the morning and say, well, I'm just planning on turning against the Lord today and quitting. You don't do it intentionally, but you're moving so slowly 
that if a pebble got in your way, you might not have enough momentum to get over it. It might just stop you dead in your tracks and then you turn around and go the other direction. I'm telling you, you can get into the Word and the Word can start bearing fruit and you can get things going so that you've just got so much momentum built up that, man, if somebody stuck an obstacle in your path, you just go straight through it. You, this seed time and harvest can actually work for you. Notice that it says afflictions and persecution come for the Word's sake. Boy, this is a great truth. It really helped me because when I first started ministering, I just thought everybody was going to love me and love the truth and be as excited about it as I was. And much to my surprise, there's a lot of people that didn't want to hear the word and they got mad at me and called me of the devil. And I had, you know, if I'd have gone into town and been a bartender, opened up a bar, I could have joined most churches and they would have accepted me. But you go in and start preaching the good news that God loves them and tell them that they don't have to be all of this for God to accept them. And the Christians hated me and started persecuting me. And you know, at first I took it personally, but it really helped me. This parable showed me that afflictions and persecution come for the word's sake. The devil is not afraid of you. The devil is not fighting you. Some of you think, oh man, the devil's after me and my, you know, the devil will use your own dog to bite you. I mean, your car will break down. It seems like everything happens and people take it personally like, man, the devil's just on my case. The devil's not against you. He doesn't like you. I mean, the devil hates you, but the thing is, the devil, he's shorthanded. He has to concentrate his efforts. He is attacking people that have planted the word in their heart because this word is a miraculous seed and it will not only change you, it'll change other people. And Satan's attack is against the word of God. It is not personal. And when I saw that, it, it really helped me to recognize that, you know, this isn't just me that somehow or another draws all these people that hate me and stuff like this. It's the word. It's the words. Afflictions and persecution come against you because of the word. And once you see it from that light, then it keeps you from taking offense. It, it keeps you from feeling it personal and you recognize that it's just the word of God. If you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps the loudest got hit. And the one who criticizes you the loudest, it's because the Word of God is convicting them. Most people will look at you, like for instance, family. And when you start saying that, man, the power of God is upon me. I'm going to go out and preach the gospel. I'm going to lay hands on the sick. I'm believing for a miracle. You know, the way people process that is they look at this and think, if what they're saying is right, and if all of this is available to them, then that makes me a loser. That means that because I'm sick and because I'm poor and because I'm not healthy and because I'm living a typical life according to the average person, I'm not experiencing God's best. And so they have to humble themselves and admit they're wrong and you're right, which very few people are that humble. What the easier thing to do is, is to start criticizing you and knock you down to their level and see you fail. And then when you fail, they feel better about themselves. That's what it's all about. Same thing's done in law. If you have a witness that has a condemning testimony against your client, you know what you do? All you got to do is discredit that witness. Show that they have no credibility and, and all of a sudden their testimony means nothing. And so that's what, that's what persecution is. It's people coming out against you because what you are doing is convicting them. You're saying that there is a supernatural life available and they're saying, no, there isn't. 
I don't want to change. And so they have to condemn you. And it's an attack to try and stop the word of God. And it's orchestrated by the devil. You know, during this same time when Jamie and I first got really turned on to the word, I was still in the Baptist church. I would take the word back. I would preach and I'd do good for a while. And then people would come out against me and I'd begin to waver. And the man who is kind of like my mentor, the man who got me started, Joe Nay, I would go to his meetings. And uh, I remember one time that I was really discouraged and Joe called me out of the group and he brought me up and he prophesied over me. And he says, I see a picture of you. You're like a runner on a track. And he said, you're running this race and you're leading the pack. He says, you're doing a good job. But the people in the grandstands are yelling at you and telling you that you're doing it all wrong. And he says, I see you getting off of the track and up into the grandstands and arguing with the spectators. And he says, even if you win the argument, you're going to lose the race. He says, forget the critics, stay on track. Man, that was a word from God for me that changed my life. And you know, that's exactly what affliction and persecution is doing, trying to steal the word from you. And we want to justify ourselves, and we think this person is misunderstood. Oh, let me explain. If you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus would say things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And they thought he was talking of cannibalism, which he wasn't. They were carnal. They didn't have the spiritual perception to understand what he was talking about. So they misunderstood him. And Jesus just repeated it and says, I'm telling you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He didn't say, oh, I'm sorry. Please don't misunderstand. Let me explain. Man, he was just brutal. He depended on the Holy Spirit to reveal things to people. His disciples came to him another time and says, don't you know that the, the, the Pharisees were offended because you said these things? He said, leave them alone. He said, they're blind, leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall into the ditch. He says, every person, every plant that my father hasn't planted will be uprooted. He didn't seek to explain himself. Boy, he's so different than most ministers today that are so afraid they're going to say something that might offend someone. And they go out of their way to explain and to apologize and to do all of this stuff. I'm telling you that you cannot get up into the grandstands. We've had people write blogs against me. We've had, we got hundreds of blogs that I'm of the devil uh, doing all kinds of things. And, you know, I've had my staff come to me. One time they came to me and they started showing me and telling me about some of these blogs and, and some of the criticisms. And they said, uh, do, do you want us to respond to this? And I told them that vision about arguing with the people in the grandstands. I said, no, I don't want any of my resources to go to defending myself. I'm just going to preach the gospel and let it go. But did you know that in about a month or so, they brought it up again and they had devised a way that they could, I, I don't even remember what it was, but they had something that they could, they could, uh, somehow or another comment on these and counter this and give an explanation and try and explain the things that I was being criticized over. And I told him, I said, look, we talked about this before. I do not want one minute of my staff's resources to go towards me defending myself and trying to justify things. That's getting up into the grandstands and arguing with the spectators. 
I said, man, God can take care of me. I said, I'm going to stay on track and I don't want to divert any money towards doing stuff like that. I believe that that's the example that Jesus gave. And I tell you, it has really ministered to me. I just don't spend my time defending myself. And this is what this is saying is that see people, they get excited about the word, but when you get excited about it, you just had a big target drawn on your back. Satan is going to send somebody across your path. The devil is going to send somebody to criticize you and it'll often be family members. It'll be people that are close to you. And because you don't want to lose them, you love them. You're wanting them to receive this word that you're sharing. You know, if you aren't careful, you'll become offended when they start criticizing you. And that is the whole purpose of persecution is to get you to where you aren't preaching the word anymore. You know, even if I justify myself and win the argument, the devil has really won because I'm no longer preaching the word and sowing the seed. I'm out here defending myself. So even if I come out smelling like a rose, Satan won because I'm no longer preaching the gospel. I'm spending my time on radio and television defending myself. That's not what God called me to do. You can't do that. You have to recognize that the word of God is the target. Satan is not after you. He's trying to steal that word from you. And you have to keep this word in the midst and keep from being offended. Also, here's another great thing to learn out of this passage of scripture is that afflictions and persecutions come to steal away the word. We've got a large segment of the body of Christ today that is saying that God's the one that puts trials and tribulations in your life and causes you to be sick. And it's God that caused your business to fail to make you better. That is not true. These things are designed by the devil to steal the word from you. They do not make you stronger in the word. I'm not going to, I could preach on that for an hour or two, but that is, I just can't let that go without mentioning this because there's a lot of people that because it's been taught that God is the author of our sicknesses and diseases. They open up their arms and they embrace problems thinking, oh God, thank you for sending me this problem because it's going to make me stronger. No, the design of problems is to steal the word from you, to make you offended, to think, man, if this is what believing the word does, I think I may quit believing the word. When I first believed in healing, it says over in Hebrews chapter 10, I believe it's verse 35, but it's right there close. It says, um, after you believed, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Maybe 35 is the one that says you have need of confidence that after you've done the will of God, you might inherit the promises. But anyway, it's right there in Hebrews chapter 10. That after you were enlightened, you endured a great fight of afflictions. Satan is coming against you with everything he's got trying to steal the word. And like in my case, when I first started believing in healing, I had basically been well for years. I didn't get sick. I was only 18 years old and I was living pretty good. But man, the moment I started believing that it was God's will to heal and I started a Bible study and I was preaching it, I got sick and stayed sick for six months. I had a cold, I had the flu, I had a headache. Every time I'd stand up to preach on healing, I was sick and I was preaching on healing. And you know what it was? It was to trying to get me to back off of it. I believe everything he had planned for me for a year or two in advance, he threw it all at me knowing that if I ever got this truth rooted on the inside of me, that I was going to deal the devil a blow. And so he threw all kinds of sicknesses at me. 
This is actually back before Jamie and I were married. And I remember talking to Jamie about it and talking about, should, should I quit preaching it because I can't live it? And finally, I just came to a point that, you know what? It's the truth. And whether I can live it or not, I'm going to tell people what the Word says. And I just kept standing on the Word. And about that time is when I saw this break. And man, I have lived a supernatural divine health for the last 40 years or so because I took that Word and got it rooted in my heart. But all of these things happen trying to steal the word. And notice it says here that they are offended. You know, the dictionary defines offended as, well, I, f I forgot the exact dictionary definition. I, I can't quote it, but it's just talking about that you don't reject it. It's just talking about that you no longer have the same confidence, the same excitement about it because it's costing you something. In my case, I'd go back and preach to people about God we are the righteousness of God. And man, I'd have them counter me like, don't you understand that all our righteousness is like filthy rags? There is none righteous, no, not one. And they'd blast me with those scriptures. And you know what? I still believed what God had shown me, but I just lost my confidence because I didn't have the ability to answer. The word wasn't rooted in me. And so I still would believe it, but I wouldn't speak it out because I knew I was going to be criticized. I knew people wouldn't understand and it was making people hate me and I began to back off of it. You know what that is? That's being offended. And if you get offended, it doesn't mean that you reject it and say, well, I no longer believe in this. You just lose your confidence in it. You quit mixing the word with faith and it'll quit working in your life. Boy, that is powerful. And this is where so many people are. You know, most of the body of Christ, I don't mean this in a negative way. I'm just trying to illustrate so that we can draw it out into the open and deal with it. But most of the body of Christ really is more codependent on people than they are God. Most of us cannot live without the approval of our mate, the approval of our children, the approval of our parents, the approval of our people at church, our circle of friends. And if you standing on the word of God was to cost you a relationship, somebody begin to criticize you. If they make fun of you at work as being a fanatic, talk about you as a Bible thumper or, you know, whatever it is that they use. Most people are so sensitive to the opinions of men and stuff that they would easily back off, be offended at the word of God and let it keep from working in their life. Amen or oh me. Amen. It's true. That's where most people are. And the scripture says, Proverbs 29, that the fear of man brings a snare. If you are afraid of people and their response, you'll never, never have the word of God work in your life. Because all the de devil's got plenty of people that are responsive to him. And all he's got to do is send one of them across your path to criticize you, to make fun of you, to say something. And you just cave because you can't handle criticism. You know, God didn't make us for rejection. He created man for fellowship. And I believe that there is something on the inside of every single person that desires to be accepted. You would desire to be received and admired. If you like criticism, something's wrong with you. God didn't make people to like criticism. But that being said, 
you have to get so dependent upon the Lord and so in love with God that his acceptance just overwhelms anybody else's rejection. And most people do not have that vibrant of a relationship with God. If somebody was to criticize you, you'll go talk to God about what they said. And the whole time God will be saying, but I love you and I'm pleased with you and you're doing what I told you to do. But to most people, that's not enough. You have to have the approval of men. If you have to have the approval of men, let me just tell you, you aren't going to go very far in God. Because whether you realized it or not, we are not living in a Christian nation. It was founded on Christian principles, but it is a post-Christian nation. It is an ungodly atmosphere. It is, a, it is a society of unbelief. And to stand on the Word of God, you are going to be weird. You are going to stand out like a heel thumb. You are going to be different than other people. And if you're just wanting to be accepted and be like everybody else, the word of God is going to be stolen from you. You will be offended and the word will be stopped in your life. This is a barrier that you've got to cross. And I can tell you when this happened in my life, is it the end of 1972 or 1973 when God started making this real in my life? And I made a commitment that I was going to stand on the word of God. And I didn't care if it cost me every person, every relationship, if it cost me anything, everything, it didn't matter. I would never compromise the word of God. Romans 3, 4, let God be true and every man a liar. And it's a decision that I've made. And I've had to make it a thousand times since. Amen. You know what? We get criticism now. We get a lot of people against us. We get people calling in and telling me all the things that I'm wrong. And you know, it's, it's amazing. Criticism seems to carry more weight than compliments. We had 28,000 calls in May. We had 25,000 visits a day to our website. We had all kinds of positive things. People at our meetings say good things. And so many people tell me about how their life is blessed. And yet you can get one person criticizing and writing in. And that seems to affect people more than a thousand compliments. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Some of you are saying, well, why would you do that? I bet you it's the same with you. There could be lots of people who are receiving the word of God and are blessed by the stand that you're taking. And yet somebody takes offense and you get so hurt over this person. You know, I've, I've just learned that if, if there are a thousand people in a meeting and if 999 are upset at me, I'll look at the one that's receiving and I'll preach to them. That's the way that you have to be. You know, I, I long to see every single person healed. I don't know that I've ever been in a meeting where I saw every person heal. But I believe it's God's will. And I don't understand why every person isn't healed. And you know what? There are times that sometimes I'll get to look in at the people that leave without manifesting a healing. And it'll begin to discourage me. And I'll forget the people whose deaf ears were open. The people who the little six-year-old boy who had uh, muscular dystrophy was running last night. And I'll forget the good things that are happening and look at the things that didn't happen. And because of that, become discouraged and take offense. And the word of God will be choked in my life. You can't do that. You've got to focus on the good things. You've got to reach a place that if you have a prayer line and if you pray for somebody and if they fall over dead, just step over them and say, next. And I tell you, that's not easy to come by. 
It takes some effort to do that, but you've got to do it. You've got to focus on the positive. You've got to look at the ones that are receiving. You've got to look at the Lord who's always, always pleased with you. And whether you do everything right or not, God loves you anyway. And I tell you, you've got to cross this barrier. If you don't, the Word of God will be stolen out of your life. Oh, this is powerful. I can't believe I'm out of time. But this is really important. And I feel that this is where the majority of the body of Christ is, is right here. Let me also say that I think that this parable is progressive steps. I don't think it's like we're all over the board and do different things. I think all of us start out to where our heart was hardened towards God and the Word of God didn't just penetrate us. And we have to get to a place where we start seeking the Lord and open up our heart and let the Word penetrate. But then as soon as that happens, the next step is that you begin to start being offended by things, afflictions and persecutions come. And if you aren't rooted and grounded in the Word of God, then the same thing will happen. You'll bear no fruit. Even though you got closer, even though you were excited, the Word of God's not going to work in your life unless you take, let it take root. And then the third step, we let other things enter in and choke it. And I believe that they're progressive steps. And I can tell you, when the Lord started showing this to me back in about 1973, I was in that second step. And you know what? I'm, I believe I'm just now beginning to enter into that fourth type of ground. And I still deal with getting the things of this life and the cares of this life trying to choke the Word of God. I'm still dealing with it. I'm in transition between that third and that fourth type of ground. And, and I don't think that you ever get over these things. But I tell you, this is important. If you can understand these principles and get this concept, it makes a Christian life super simple. Again, I refer to the fact I've got a teaching entitled Effortless Change. People look at change as being so hard. It's because you're trying to change by fasting and praying and twisting God's arm. And you're trying to get other people to have an all-night prayer meeting and make this happen and do this. If you would just take the Word and put it in your heart and not let anybody or anything talk you out of it, that Word would produce your miracle effortlessly. You know, an apple tree, you've never walked by an apple tree and heard it moan and groan and let out a scream and, ah, and here's an apple. <laughs> it's just the nature of that apple tree to produce apples. And you know what? If you would sow the word in your heart, it is the nature of you to walk in absolute victory. But it isn't going to happen with a virgin birth or without planting a seed. But if you would plant the seed and nurture it, it just, you just change. You can't help but change if you meditate in the Word day and night. And if you esteem the Word of God more than you esteem the opinions of other people. If you would just put God's Word in your life, I guarantee you it changes you. We see it in our school all the time. This is one of the reasons that we are so insistent trying to get people under the Word because, man... To be in school four hours a day, five days a week for two or three years, I can't even begin to describe to you what that does, how much focus that puts on the Word of God. And it changes you. We see people come in one way and they leave another way. And they, many of them didn't plan on leaving another way. I remember this one kid that his mother sent him to our school, 17 years old. And he came because she paid for his 
uh, tuition. She got him an apartment, all of the uh, furniture and everything, and bought him a car if he would come to school for six months. So he came to get all of that stuff and he told everybody, I am not staying. I'm here for six months and I'm gone. Last thing he wanted to do was to go to Bible school. He was a nice kid. There was nothing wrong with him, but he just had zero desire to come to Bible school. But you know what? He sat under the word five hours a day for four or five months. And at Christmas break, he went home to Chicago. He was never going to come back. He had already told us. And he got home and he had had one of his friends killed in a drive-by shooting. The other kids were doing things and he had changed and he didn't even realize it. His whole attitude, his desires had changed. And he realized, man, I don't want to go back into this. And he came back to school and finished up two years of school. And he was changed without even wanting to change. I tell you what, the Word of God will change your life. It's effortless if you just plant the seed and let it have its perfect work. It's really this simple. It really is. It's not easy. The hardest thing you'll ever do is do this, but it's this simple. The Word of God has whatever miracle you need. Plant it in your heart. Don't let it be rooted out, and I guarantee you, you will see the change in your life. Isn't that good? You know, I'd like to ask our prayer ministers, if they would, to come up here and we're going to offer prayer again. I know that there was a man that came to me this morning, had sugar diabetes, and asked if I'd pray for him. And he hasn't been at any of the other meetings. And I said, we're going to have prayer again this morning. So I know that we've been praying for people, but there may be some of you here that need prayer for whatever reason. If you would like prayer, I'd like to give you an invitation to come. If you don't know Jesus... Or if you are born again, but if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you ought to come and let one of our prayer ministers pray for you. We don't want you to leave here without helping, without us helping you to receive from God. So if you need prayer, come forward right now. Let one of our prayer ministers pray for you. The rest of you, you're dismissed. Remember that we're going to be back at 645 tonight. We're going to start with some patriotic music. Excuse me. I can't hear you, Jamie. Praise God. So we'll be back at 645 tonight, and that'll be our last service this week. So God bless you. You're dismissed.